0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: The following program has been brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn.
2: Hey, hey, it's Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Arway. And um, it's a spring Monday here in Brooklyn, it's starting to get a little bit more spring-like as the days go on. Um, so, you know, it, as as we are... In the middle of a sort of in between season, I think it's always really fun for me to play around with uh, different cuisines, uh, try out some new techniques in the kitchen. And um, I'm holding a cookbook right now that is all about one certain cuisine. And, you know, I just love cookbooks that are about a single cuisine and, and culture. I think I'm actually trying to collect. A book for every part of the world, um, but this book is actually much more than just a cookbook. Uh, it is called Mint Tea and Minarets: A Banquet of Moroccan Memories, and its author, Kitty Morse, is on the line here. How are you, Kitty?
3: Hi, Kathy. I'm fine, thank you.
2: Thank you so much for joining. And My uh, pleasure. Yeah, so so Kitty, you're you're the author of several cookbooks already, um, award-winning ones, um, and you've written, you know, a, a a lot about Moroccan food. So you have couscous that came out in 2000. Uh, my Moroccan kitchen, or sorry, cooking at the Casbah. Recipes from my Moroccan kitchen. Right. And so this book is a is a you know it's a little bit more than a cookbook, wouldn't you say? Well, it's,
3: it, yes, it's a departure. You know, mm-hmm. after writing um, five books on strictly on Moroccan cuisine, I thought um, because we, my father willed me this. Uh, Riyadh. Riyad is a Moorish mansion, mm-hmm. about 90 kilometers south of Casablanca, and I was going back and forth because for over 20 years I led food tours to Morocco, and I would go to th- the name of the house, is the house of the olive, and I would give cooking classes, mm-hmm. and I always wanted to tell more stories, because one of the frustrations when you're a cookbook author, maybe you know that, is when you have to write a headline, you write a really nice headline and it takes you, we- I mean um, a head note, and right. it takes you weeks and weeks, really <laughs> weeks, and then your editor slashes and burns and says, oops, we only have two hundred. You know, room for 200 words uh, and I thought, all of a sudden yeah. my Moroccan stories were slashed which was fine, I, I love my books but I've always wanted to tell more stories and mm. because of the history and the background of this house it was absolutely something i had to do and it took me 12 years oh my goodness oh yes i don't recommend doing (laughs) this uh you know on a regular basis but um yeah so i've told the story of my life in morocco growing up in morocco Mm -hmm. uh, what happens when i go to dazi and also of course within the walls of this magical house yeah
2: I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. Actually, Uh, you know, I I think that the the book itself is fascinating, but all the layers of history in this house that you have beautifully, uh, you know, told in such detail. It's just like, it's it's really like reading a novel, but it's it's actually a memoir. It's your own life. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it
3: is, but thank you. And it was, you know, it's a very personal book. I think that's why it took me so long, because I had so many more stories to tell, and I had to slash and burn my <laughs> own my own manuscript. Um, <laughs> but while I was researching this, my My father purchased a pile of ruins in the mid sixties okay and and then he spent twenty years restoring it and of course, we went back and forth and it was his um, his weekend house because he lived in Casablanca and he purchased this on the lark in a village oh. that hardly anybody goes to unless oh. you have good reason to <laughs> on the banks of Morocco's main river, the mother of spring, but hmm. while I was researching i to my neighbors and to previous owners of the house before the 1960s, and I found out that Darzitun was a cooking venue. Oh my goodness! And, yes, and it really sent chills up and down my spine. I couldn't. I was just, just stunned because I was going there to cook. Um, my my father's wife was a fabulous cook. We. The book is also about my relationship with Bushaiba, caretaker. Flash cooks, so we mm-hmm. cooked. So mm-hmm. we did at Dazidun. We cooked and we ate and we invited people to cook and eat.
2: <laughs> so you were having and these cooking classes at your father's restored Riyadh and uh-huh. all the while hadn't yet discovered that this was the place a venue. of a, a cooking,
3: cooking venue school. <laughs> for, for a century or a century and a half before, the owner and uh, probably one of the rebuilders of the house was a rich man from the north of Morocco, from Mm -hmm. Tétouan, which has uh, quite a different cuisine than the know Hmm. areas. And his wife was homesick for the cuisine of Tétouan, where the cuisine is more Sephardic in nature because of many Sephardic Jews who fled from Spain settled in in northern Morocco. So there was a Mm. slight uh, different flavor. Uh And she would bring in cooks, from Tétouan to Azémur so that they could train the, the, you know, the young women in the village in the art of cooking that she right. liked. And, right. uh, I mean, I mean, really? And that must have been by 1850, 1875. And, I mean, I was Oh, my just, goodness. Yeah, I was... was uh, anyway, that's the story. It's <laughs> funny. So,
2: can you tell me, what are some of, like, the differences? Because, um, you know, when we think of the, the, the s- studying a formal, uh, you know, gastronomical uh you know education, we think of French um you know that oh, that is yeah so so and I know that um there is a lot of French influence um in Morocco. Would you say that that these schools are, are distinctly different in nature of of you know how they how they run their programs
3: well it's not that you know i 'm not talking about schools here i 'm mm-hmm. talking about home cooks and the yeah. styles i mean Morocco. If you can imagine it's very similar in climate and topography to where I live here in southern california okay so so there's mountains and there 's snow there 's the Sahara where there's sand and you don 't get seafood and then there's two thousand kilometers of coastline, and then the very fertile plains like california so the produce and the ingredients are very similar. I mean, they're, they're Mediterranean. Perfect. It's just that we combine them in a different <laughs> way Alives. than they do on the other right, side right. of the Mediterranean. <laughs> right. But to to differentiate between the north of Morocco and let's say the area around Casablanca, um, as I was saying, in northern Morocco, Tangier, Tetouan, in the Rif area, um, you know, Morocco in for fifty years, was a protectorate. Mm-hmm. Half of it, half of it was French, and half of it was Spanish. And so, the town I'm talking about in northern Morocco happened to be in the Spanish area of Morocco before okay. it became independent in '57. So, to right. give you a background, uh-huh. so um, the dishes in northern Morocco, uh, in addition to having a a Jewish or a Sephardic Jewish influence from Spain, uh, you know, had used used, uh, you know, olive oil and, uh, and paprika in a liberal manner, and the Sephardic Jews were very fond of sweets. So there's um, mm. pastries that are different than the Arab style, which you would find south of the, um, you know, that uh, Tetuan area. Is that like
2: the Bastilla uh, chicken pastry?
3: Well, the Bastilla is, uh, is really a specialty from Fez. Oh. Uh, but originally, historically, probably... Yes, mm-hmm. might have migrated. Nobody's quite sure about Bastilla oh. because there's similar dishes even in southern France. And uh, the Bastilla, the sweetness also originated uh, a lot of it in Turkey with those phyllo dough pastries because oh. the, the Sephardic Jews migrated from, you know, all around the Mediterranean after they, were, they had to leave Spain and before. I mean, in biblical times, they were already traveling around the Mediterranean, but that mm-hmm. style of cooking maybe migrated from the east towards Spain and then down into North Africa. So, But but still, at this point, it's a s- mixture of sweet shredded chicken and spices like cinnamon and ginger right. and saffron and um, and uh, sugar and cilantro and parsley and oh. scrambled eggs. <laughs> I just find it's it so
2: a- fascinating, yeah, when you mention the sweet aspects yeah. and then-
3: but uh, in, it, in Morocco now, bastilla is thought of ah, it's a specialty from Fez, and um, the Fassi, the inhabitants of Fez, feed it or offer it to newlyweds on the night of their wedding to oh. wish them a life as sweet as the bastilla. Oh,
2: oh, wonderful! So you know. I, I have a limited, more limited knowledge of Moroccan food than you. No kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I see. I see. Um, you know, it's really taken off. I see people trying to preserve lemons oh, and yeah. you know uh, tinkering around with harissa more, yes. more and more often. And it's as you just kind of um, in, uh, you know suggested or alluded to just now. It is such a richly varied cuisine that it's really hard to say. You know, Moroccan fill-in-the-blank, you know, uh, flavored something. Um,
1: Very so, you're
2: right. So, um... Uh, Sorry. Oh, no problem. So I think that this book is also a really great primer in a lot of uh, classic dishes. And I was just wondering how you chose some of these, uh, you know, the couscous with turkey and... Oh, um, my, that's good. And you also have a preserved lemon recipe. And I love the vegetables. There's a salad of Belgian endives and um, uh, harissa and harira that uh, bean yeah. stew. Um, yeah. So yeah, tell me a little bit more about. And, and okay. I know you've probably been cooking these in your c- cooking classes, but
3: I do actually. Funnily enough, I have been teaching people how to preserve lemons since the late seventies.
2: <laughs> okay, but
3: it was completely unknown at that time, uh-huh. as was couscous, really. But preserved lemons is quintessentially Moroccan. And if you don't yeah. make your own, go home, make them right now. Because there's really no, no good commercial source. Okay. And I have, I have to stress that because many lemons that I see floating in jars of water, they're not preserved. They're just lemons floating in jars of water. I, I get on my high horse.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Please do.
3: <laughs> but... um. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're decorative items. And Mm -hmm. so, but the recipes, the recipe that I give in all my books really is from my great aunt who taught me. She uh, lived in Algeria and Morocco and she was my mentor. Mm -hmm. So I preserve lemons only in salt. And in Morocco, Mm -hmm. traditionally, you do not add flavorings. I mean, of course you can, but adding the chili peppers and the uh, laurier, the laurier, the bay leaf, and, Mm -hmm. you know, that's really more Algerian. Uh, okay. But if you follow my method, which is lemon and salt, the only ingredient you really need is patience. Mm-hmm. Preserve those lemons. You have to wait four weeks; it's otherwise, like, they're not preserved. Right. Anyway, I'm, I, I'm done. I won't say anything.
2: <laughs> ah! No, I, um, I. That's thank you so much for clarifying because I, I, you know, it's it's like salt cured lemons, like a dry cure rather than a wet brine of some sort. Right? That's, right. Yeah. That's right. It's
3: really a salt cure because when you end up with the liquid, it's a, it has to turn into a yeah. salted syrup. Uh. It's a jam. It's just preserved in salt. And so when you use it, of course you use the pulp and you use the rind. Mm-hmm. And I give, in my books, I give recipes for A, B, and C. And also the syrup. There's no reason to throw anything out. Mm-hmm. So it's so easy. And here, of course, I'm so fortunate I have a lemon tree in my backyard. Oh. But huh? How did I pick my recipes? Um, it was hard because, first of all, many Moroccan recipes are classics. You know, okay. you, some tagines are, you, it's a classic dish. There's a history behind it, like the, uh, the, the tagine faya with a sweet onion, caramelized um, almonds and cinnamon and ginger, and that kind of topping you use mm. in celebrations. Okay. Um, The tagine, the classic, is a tagine of chicken, olives, and preserved lemons and artichoke hearts. I mean, so wherever you go in Morocco, you have a version of that. So what I do in my book is actually I have updated without forsaking the, the flavors. I mean, I use less fat, for example. I will tell you to use chicken thighs because I think they have more flavor than chicken breasts or a whole chicken or... You know, and you can use frozen artichokes fine. You don't find here, I don't anyway, mm. uh, very coming, the tiny little cocktail artichokes. So I give you a way to uh, make the recipe taste really good using the ingredients you have basically in your supermarket.
1: Wonderful. And,
3: uh, but the couscous with turkey, that's a novelty for me, and <laughs> I really wanted to put it in this book, because usually couscous you make with lamb or beef. Right. Um, I thought that was but- interesting. Yeah, but uh, I live, well, in Darzitoun is located in one of Morocco's most agricultural areas, the Doukala. And the Doukala is famous for its turkeys. Oh, okay. Um, so in the book, I tell you I did. I went to visit a turkey farmer, and she had a turkey ready, and she made me her turkey couscous, and I swooned because I had never thought of using turkey and couscous, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So that's how that's from a farmer in the Doucala. Uh The andive salad you mentioned. Mm. I give. I give also recipes from my family and my grand. My mother's French. My grandmother was French. Uh, my maternal grandmother, and so we used to go every thirty first of December for the uh, Réveillon. I forget the name in English. I'm sorry. Oh. New Year's New Year's Eve. Okay. I have. I have. Moments, senior <laughs> moments.
2: <laughs> no um, worries.
3: So, but Andive, you find in Casablanca, you find all over Morocco, because as you said, there is a slight French influence, not much. Okay. But, but the greens and the Andives would be, and so the Andive, you go to the marché and you buy your Andives, you can buy your pâté, you can buy your truffles, you can buy anything you find in a French marché, in big marché all over Morocco, or big, um, a big European style oh, market okay. all over Morocco. Um, you know mushrooms. We get chanterelles. We get—I mean, anything you can imagine—in a farmer's market here, you will find in Casablanca, America and Fez in the big cities.
2: Well, it looks um, beautiful, but, and it, it sounds like you've really honed and fine-tuned some of the recipes that you've been—you've been cooking over a while. Maybe I have. Yeah. I, thank so you. in this yes, collection. I have. Um, excellent. Um, we're just going to cut to a quick little commercial interlude, and we'll be right back.
3: Thank you. Thanks you. Mm-hmm.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Rolling Press. Rolling Press is a family-run digital and offset print house that brings together eco-friendly methods, ethical practices, and personalized service. Using environmentally responsible papers, non-toxic inks, and wind power, Rolling Press represents the harmony of traditional craftsmanship and mindful sustainability. Rolling Press offers advice on reducing paper waste and energy consumption, helping you save money and minimize your carbon footprint. For more information, visit rollingpress.com.
2: All right, we're back chatting more with Kitty Morse, the author of Mint Tea and Minarets. I should also note that this book has already uh, received an award in 2013 um, for Gourmand World Cookbook Awards, and it was a finalist in the San Diego Book Awards as well. Um, So Kitty, we were just talking a little bit about some some classic dishes, uh, preserved lemon and other ingredients, but the title... uh, dish or it's not really a dish it's a drink um yes. is mint <laughs> yes. tea and i okay so i i confess i have been r- to morocco for a couple weeks oh, and i of course noticed that mint tea is the first thing that that people give yeah. you to show hospitality and yeah. um it's it's not like your dried mint tea it's like a fresh sprigs in yeah. tea um so tell me more about that why why is it uh, uh, so prevalent
3: well, it's the mint tea has become or is the national beverage of Morocco, and in Morocco we make we make it with fresh mint, usually fresh spearmint, or uh, the mint that you find in your backyard that you can't get rid of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I, there's a difference between the Moroccan minty and the Tunisian, where they do use uh, dried mint. But when you, it's not sprigs we use in Morocco; it's bunches.
2: <laughs> bunches. So. Yeah.
3: Um, the, the green tea, and you have to make it with chinese green tea, Japanese green tea or other green teas will okay. not do because they've been treated differently they're a bit smokier, so if you have japan um sorry chinese green mm-hmm. tea gunpowder green Formosa oolong mm-hmm. um and so you you steep and it's 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 a um, kind of beverage yes, you drink all all the time all over Morocco, like you know some people here in in more in the United States are fueled with. Coffee, well, in Morocco, we're fueled with sweet, very sweet mint tea. It started about in the 1850s when the British were looking for a new market for their tea they were bringing in from India, and oh. they found the, that the Moroccan market was quite receptive. So the, so the base of it is green, it's Chinese green tea, and it's served in one of those pot-bellied teapots with a pointed lid, and you can find them all over the Internet these days. Uh, you steep the green tea for a few minutes, and then you stuff your teapot with mint, fresh mint leaves. <laughs> so when I buy mint, I buy bunches, and I stuff at least one bunch in my wow. in my teapot to make maybe four or five cups. Um, and you sweeten it to taste, and it can be very, very sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or um, when I teach, I go moderately with the, with the sugar because, um, you know, our palates are not as used to... Uh, the syrupy sweet mint tea that you get in Morocco. But tradition, there's a protocol to drinking mint tea. As you say, everywhere you go, you're offered mint tea, whether yeah. you're bargaining for a rug or you're visiting somebody, or you can't escape it. Right, <laughs> so, right. So you might as well enjoy it. Um, it seems
2: like a sign of, of, you know, general greetings. Um, it is. It's a it way is. to say hello. <laughs>
3: it, it, absolutely. Yeah. It is. Your meal will start with minty, and it will mm-hmm. end with minty, and the protocol says that you, and you sip it in small glasses. You know, you know mm-hmm. you're going to drink a mug of this. Um, but so you're supposed to, to drink or to sip three glasses of minty before you take your leave. That's the polite way of doing things, uh <laughs> if you go visiting okay. in Morocco so, I, and you, so and if you know that if you go in a rug bazaar, then they will ply you with minty until you buy a rug
2: <laughs> <laughs> I did uh experience that as um <laughs> so I mean, I think it's just such a wonderful way to to use mint. I know a lot of people who have mint plants that go. Grow like crazy in the summer, so I, it's really addictive too. Oh um, it
3: is, and you know I love to make it iced. Uh, I've, mm. uh, it's not it's not traditional, but I make my Moroccan mint tea and I put it in the fridge, and that's what I drink all all summer. I love it iced. And a very uh, I don't know if you in your part of the world if you can grow a lemon uh, verbena. Oh
2: yes, absolutely. Oh,
3: then what you do, and it's uh, another Moroccan. Custom. You can add mint and a few leaves of lemon verbena. Just
2: fresh. And yeah.
3: if you want an infusion with no green tea, if you're drinking this at night, okay. skip, skip the tea. Uh, I very often do just the mint and the lemon verbena and a bit of sugar. Right. It's and, a, you know, and you no, just no stuff ketchup. the
2: whole, like, leaves and stem and all, just, you know, plop it in there. Yeah,
3: or oh, the, the mint, leaves and stem, and all I do is I take away the little tie... And I rinse the mint Mm -hmm. under running water and I stuff the whole thing. In fact, I have seven bunches in my fridge right now because I'm doing an event in Los Angeles on Wednesday and I'm bringing my bunches of mint. Somehow people, you know, you're not used to using that amount of mint, so I get Mm -hmm. too little mint, and so I have to bring my own.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I see what you mean. You're like, no, really, I need this much.
3: Uh, (laughs) Actually, you know where you buy the best? Uh, and I find the, the the least expensive and really good mint is in Mexican and Vietnamese or Chinese markets because mm. they make use of bunches of mint, especially the Vietnamese. Oh. So, yeah. So I yeah. would go directly there because otherwise, I mean, it's basically a weed and you pay a nominal <laughs> I know.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell me more about harissa. This is um, a, a condiment that I see um, a lot of folks hesitant about because it looks like it might be really, really spicy. Oh. But it's actually more smoky, right?
3: Well, so, it depends mm-hmm. on the peppers you use. The recipe mm-hmm. that I give, because I, Moroccans do not like picante food. Okay. Uh, the Tunisians mm-hmm. and the Algerians do, but the Moroccans have adopted harissa from Tunisia. It's actually a Tunisian condiment. And so in mm-hmm. Morocco, if you make your own, and you'll notice my recipe, if you make it, It's really not that picante. It depends on the quality of peppers or chilies that I would use. And uh, I use guajillo, and, you know, so it's fairly mild. But if I want picante, I will add cayenne. I will add habanero. Um, And so you make your own harissa, and you serve it on the side in Morocco. Okay. Uh, Especially with brochette with um, shish kebabs, and I give you the recipe. Because shish kebabs, it's a street food. Mm. And so you automatically serve your brochette with harissa and cumin because you're going to dip your cube of lamb in harissa and in cumin. Oh, but it's is that right? Strictly, strictly t- you also serve it in Morocco as a side to couscous because we, we serve couscous and then broth on the side my grandfather mm-hmm. always had his broth on the side, and you add the harissa to the broth, and then you put that on top of your couscous.
2: Oh, nice little, like, uh, sauce. or dipping. Yeah, like a sauce. Yeah.
3: And so, you know, really it depends. Uh, it's up to you. It's up to your palate. So it, it's quite common. I've, I see it a lot now. There's a lot of chefs using it. Yeah.
0: That.
2: Well, it's yeah. such a bright and beautiful, uh, rich color, and um, it it's just has a lot of depth of, of flavor. And um, it... You know, whereas you you might expect just heat, it's a it's a lot more than that.
3: It's a lot more because Moroccan, and I have to say, I'm, I'm always because I've written a book on North African food as well, and Tunisian and Algerian is very good, but Moroccan, I think, is more subtle because yeah. to a Moroccan's palate, what's important is the blend of spices. So when you yeah. cook in the same dish, you have beef or lamb or chicken with ginger and cinnamon and paprika and salt and pepper and cilantro. And, you have to and saffron gosh I'm not for like a saffron uh-huh. um you you the the art of making the dish is to make sure that you can you can taste the palette of flavor so you don't want to add heat to this because you won't get the palette <laughs> right. of flavors and right. that's what Moroccan cooking is all about
2: wow it it is a really really varied blend sometimes and uh I really appreciate that um so tell me, uh, we only have a couple minutes left, but um, uh-huh. what else might you be working on now that you've written this 12-year project uh, <laughs> memoir, <laughs> uh, aside from teaching, as usual?
3: Well, I'm having fun. I'm promoting the book, and I mm-hmm. give presentations of Moroccan cuisine and culture. But funnily enough, about a week ago, I signed a new contract. I am, I am doing a second edition of a book on edible flowers. Oh, Wonderful. So I'm actually now working on, uh, you know, munching my way to my (laughs) friends' gardens and various places. I can't wait for that.
2: That's that's a topic.
3: It's a a gift book, and it's very pretty, and I'm, you know, making sure every recipe works. And uh, so that's what I'm testing at the moment. But when I want want comfort food, I go directly to Moroccan (laughs) (laughs) food.
2: Oh, very cool! I can't wait to keep posted on that project as well. Thank you but, very um, much. Yeah, thank, thank you, you well, so much you, for your time.
3: It's it's been you know it's been great fun, and
2: please keep in touch. Absolutely, and uh, everyone can check out Mint Tea and Minarets out from La Caravan Books. Yes,
3: and they're all on my website um, kittymorse.com. All my books are on my website, and so are recipes and my forthcoming appearances.
2: And, uh, and up
3: yeah. events. I try and keep that up.
2: All right, great. Thank you so much for your time, and thanks everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thank
3: you, Kathy. Thanks. Bye-bye. Ooh, I like the way you
1: do. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network.